So did you guys hear the big news this week? Did you guys hear the big news? No, not the royal wedding. That was not the big news. Nor was the big news that the Spurs are out of the NBA playoffs. Carson, that's for you. Uh, not about the NFL draft. Some of you finally have your husbands back after a few days of the NFL draft. The big news this week, if you were paying attention, was... I told the youth this. The big news this week was Superman is denouncing his American citizenship. Did you know that? 900 issues, I think 900, 600, 900, some big issues coming up, and Superman is going to denounce his American citizenship. Does that do something for some of you? I mean, I grew up, Superman was like the man. You know, truth, justice, the American way. What are, what are we going to do with that now? I'm sure we'll find a way to survive. But Superman is going to renounce his American citizenship. When you were growing up, as you're growing up, did you guys have superheroes? I mean, did you have heroes that you just looked up to? I, I want to tell you just quickly about some of my other heroes. Probably one of my biggest in the whole, like, Superman, all of that thing, my favorite hero guy was Aquaman. I thought, wouldn't it be cool to be able to jump in the water and tell fish what to do? and like ride on dolphins, I don't know, for some reason, and I was a terrible swimmer, I'm still a terrible swimmer to this day, and Aquaman to me, I was like, man, that would be so cool to be Aquaman, or what about G.I. Joe, I watch G.I. Joe every day, every day I watch G.I. Joe, you know, knowing is half the battle, that was the whole deal, Luke Skywalker, me and my cousin, we would play Dukes of Hazard. you guys know Dukes of Hazard? Bo and Luke Duke, and of course, I was always Bo Duke, because he was good with the ladies, all right? So that was me. My cousin was always Luke. We'd slide across the car. My dad would be coming out, what are you doing? You know, you're going to scratch up the car. We'd, man, I can't tell you how many times we ran away from Boss Hog. I mean, man, we, we escaped often. But probably the biggest fan, the biggest hero that I had growing up as I got older was Michael Jordan the greatest basketball player ever. I, I loved basketball growing up. Again, I can't tell you how many times in my driveway, because I had the goal that you could lower down, that I dunked on the Detroit Pistons and the Lakers. I can't tell you how many times I slept with my basketball. I had Michael Jordan posters on the wall. I had all of his movie DVD thing. Oh, they weren't DVDs back then. They were VHS. Had all of his videos. I wanted to be like Mike. Remember that? I had the tape, man. I played it all the time. I want to be like Mike. We all have these heroes. We have these heroes in our life, especially growing up, but maybe even now as businessmen, businesswomen, as working people. You have heroes. But the question this morning for us is, are you a hero? Are you somebody's hero? If you have your Bible, let's open up to... 1 Corinthians. Now, we spent most of our time this weekend, or all of our time in 1 Timothy, so I'm going to jump over to 1 Corinthians. And just a little side note for what Jamie was explaining. This is for everyone this morning, for youth, for all of you to pay attention. It's not just for the youth and you're just kind of in. This is all of us together this morning. We're going to rehash some things that the youth went through, but we're also going to make some points this morning for all of us. And the question I want you to be thinking about is, are you a hero? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let me give you just kind of, just briefly, get you caught up on the Corinthian church. In Corinth here is a very large pagan culture. 
All right, there's, there's this culture that they are trying to live out this Christianity in is just pagan. It's extremely pagan, extremely anti-God, anti-Jesus Christ. And so that's the world they're living in. And in the, in, the, in the letter of Corinthians, Paul deals with lots of problems. This church in Corinth has got lots of problems. Let me just give you a rundown of a few of them. In chapter 3, there's all kinds of divisions in the church. In chapter 5, he's having to address the sexual immorality in the church. In chapter 6, they're fighting against each other. They're bringing lawsuits against one another. Chapter 7, they have issues with marriage and divorce and remarriage and all of that stuff. Chapter 8, they're debating about what foods they should eat. Chapter 10, you have this idea. All these guys that are wanting to worship idols. In chapter 11, this is just crazy. They're getting drunk and getting fat off the Lord's Supper. And so Paul's having to tell them what the Lord's Supper is for. And then in chapters 11, 13, and 14, their worship is so out of whack that people are wondering what in the world is going on. And in chapter 15, they're wondering, is there even a resurrection? Is there even any a resurrection at the end of this life? And so this letter, this place that Paul is writing to, this church, they have got lots of issues. They're in a culture that is anti-God, anti-Christ. They don't want anything to do much with Jesus, and the church itself is messed up. So that's where we find ourselves, and we're going to start uh, in verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense to the Jews, or to the Greeks, or to the church of God, just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. Verse 1, chapter 11. Be imitator, imitators of me, as I am of Christ. In, He's leading up. What's happening here is there's been all this discussion about what you can do, what you can't do. In verse 23 through 30, there's this whole discussion of what you can do, what's permissible and, and profitable. And so just kind of sum that up so we'll know where we're going. And I think what's happening in 31 is he's basically giving a summation of all these things. There's a lot of discussion going on about what we can do, what we can't do, how we do with certain things. And we have that a little bit in our world today. You, the people are arguing in verse 23, all things are lawful. All these people in the Corinthian church are saying, can't we just do whatever we want? I mean, we have Christ. Can't we do whatever we want? Isn't everything lawful? And clearly not everything is lawful. Though Paul doesn't address that, clearly God tells us things we can and can't do. You can't have sex outside of marriage or before marriage. You can't just go down the street and shoot somebody. There are things clearly in Scripture that you can and can't do, but there are some things that are maybe a little, I don't know, I'm not sure. How do we do this thing? How do we live in this culture? We live in this world that we're in, but yet follow Christ, and there are some things that maybe are, are gray areas. And let, I don't want to spend a lot of time on this part of the passage. Let me just help you understand. Is it okay for a preacher to preach with a T-shirt on? Because I know some of you are thinking that this morning when you walked in. You're like, he's going to preach with a t-shirt on? Well, the Bible doesn't say you can't preach with a t-shirt on. The Bible doesn't say you can't do that. And so what Paul helps them to understand is you have to think about, is, are things profitable? Are they good for others? Are they going to build up the church? And so this preacher wears a shirt this morning because he thinks it's going to encourage and build up the youth who are having a Disciple Now weekend. All right, let me give you another example. 
maybe a little bit dif more difficult. What if next time we had communion, we served wine? I know some of you are wondering, oh no, where's he going? I'm not going to spend a lot of time with this. I told you we'll let Kevin deal with this some other day. <laughs> this whole profitable, permissible, I mean, it's difficult, but we're going to see the answer. And that's what I'm trying to get to. Does the Bible say you can't serve wine at communion? I mean, is one little bitty drop, basically just a couple of drops of wine, is really... I mean, is that really going to set off us off into spiraling into hell? The Bible doesn't say you cannot serve wine at communion, but we choose not to because we don't think it's beneficial. We don't think it's helpful building up the church because in our culture, in our day, many of you have dealt with alcoholism. So it wouldn't be good for us to say, here, we know you're trying to not drink. Have a drink of wine. So we've got to think about, are things permissible? Are things profitable? And in this context, in our church, where we find ourselves, we don't serve wine because we don't think it will be helpful and beneficial to the church. And there are all kinds of things happening in our lives where we have to decide, is this okay? Is this profitable? Clearly, what do the Scriptures say about them? If, they're, if it's against the Scripture, then we know we can't do it. But there are some things we find ourselves, situations that we find ourselves we say, yes, I have this freedom. And Paul's saying, yes, but think about this. And I think he sums this all up. If you're in life and you're wondering, what am I doing? Can I do this? Can I not do this? The summation is in, chapter th in verse 31. He says, so whatever you do, whatever you do, whether you eat or you drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We are busy people. Our American culture today is busy. You have lots of stuff going on. You've got work. You've got kids who have baseball and t-ball and gymnastics and tennis and track and choir. You've got all of these things. You've got people who are wanting you to come over to their house socially and have a lot of fun. And you, they, we just, we're busy people. We have coworkers that we have to deal with. We have bosses that we have to deal with. We've got to come home to our kids. Kids, you have to go to school every day and deal with your classmates and with your teachers and with your parents and your brothers and sisters. And Paul says, whatever you do, the one thing that ought to be in your mind, if, if you haven't heard, if you're not understanding anything I'm telling you, listen to verse 31. Whatever you do, everything you do in life, whether you go to the grocery store to buy groceries, you go to the restaurant to eat, when friends come over to your house, when you go over to their house, when you're at the ball game cheering your kids on, you do all to the glory of God. For the Christian, everything we do is pointing towards the glory of God. What, well, what does he mean, the glory of God? We I mean, think about the awesomeness and the majesty and the power. This glorious God that we serve, we think about all the ways in Scripture that it tells us how awesome this God is that we serve. And in everything we ought to do, we ought to be pointing to the glory of God. And where does the glory of God find its culmination? Hebrews 1.3 says the sun is the radiance of God's glory. John 1.14 says the word, that is, Jesus became flesh and made its dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says the glory of God is revealed in the face of Jesus Christ. 
in whatever we do, no matter what we're doing in this life, we ought to be giving glory to Jesus Christ. Your workplace, at home, when you're driving down the road, what you do with that blinker, what you do with that horn, what you do with that middle finger is all to the glory of God. Everything we do. See, because there's some people out there that are saying, and I know it seems strange, but there are some Christians who say, can I really do whatever I want? And Paul talks about this other places where people are saying, Doesn't, won't God forgive me of everything? Yes, he will, but that's not the point. The point is we live lives in this culture, in this world, that point to the glory of Jesus Christ. Remember, we sang about it, the cross. It's all about the cross, that when people look at us, they ought to see Jesus. When they see the way we live, when they see the way we cheer on our kids, when they see the way we interact with our boss and our coworkers, all the things we mention when they see these things, do they see the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ? Verse 32, he says, Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Don't be an obstacle for people coming to Jesus Christ. That's what he's telling them. I don't care about your freedoms. Don't get in the way of other people coming and seeing and experiencing the goodness and the mercy and the love and the compassion and the grace that's found in Jesus Christ. Any of you guys ever been out to the uh, police uh, range thing out there where they have the obstacle course? Anybody ever ran that? A few? Anybody ever ran an obstacle course? You know what an obstacle course is? This police obstacle course, we ran this about, I don't know, five or six years ago when I was even in worse sh- uh, better shape than I am now, which is really not very good shape. And we started into this obstacle course, and there's all kinds of obstacles There's a beginning and there's an end, but in the middle of all that, you're having to climb up all of this stuff. You have to climb over these walls. You have to walk up these planks. You have to, like, climb up a rope with, like, just your arms. It's like a 30, 40-foot rope. There's no, like, ladder or anything. And the whole time I was running that obstacle course, I was thinking, wouldn't this be a lot easier if they took the obstacles out of the way? I mean, wouldn't... Life would be a lot easier if there were no obstacles. And the truth is, some of us, in the way we live our lives, are obstacles to people seeing the glory and the goodness of Jesus Christ. Some of us this week, in our actions and our deeds and our words, have been obstacles. Instead of portraying and glorifying God, we have been an obstacle for people seeing Jesus Christ. Then verse 33 says, Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that of many. The point Paul is trying to make is, quit worrying so much about yourselves and what you want. So students, when you go to school, And there's that kid at school that nobody else likes, nobody else wants to talk to, that if you go talk to them, it's going to make you look bad. Paul says, it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what people are going to think about you. What about that person? Might they see the glory of God in you? Adults, when you go to work, 
when you're at the grocery store. You all have those coworkers no one wants to go eat lunch with. You've got to walk by their cubicle really fast and hope they don't see you because you don't want to deal with them because they always got problems. Because it's all about us. We're so concerned about me and what I can do, what I want to do. And Paul says, look, I worry about them, that they might see the glory of God, that they might see Jesus Christ in me. So when you go to work this week, when you go home this week, when you leave this place today, we ought to be thinking, how can I live my life in such a way that people will look at me and see Jesus And then he says at the end of verse 33, I don't seek my own advantage, but that of many, that they may be saved. The whole point of why you and I are still on this earth is so that people will be saved. The glory of God, the reason we want them to see Christ is so that they can see salvation. We live and we breathe on this earth and we function and we live so that people will see Jesus, and not just so that they'll see Jesus, but so they'll understand and know that He is the only way for salvation. There is a world of people living outside of these walls, and there are probably some of you in here who have no idea, who haven't understood the glory of Jesus Christ. You haven't yet decided that Jesus Christ is the one who can save you. And the world is looking at the church. The world is looking at us who say, yes, we are the Christians. We are the one who believe in this Jesus. And they're looking at us and they're making a decision about what they believe about Jesus based on the way you and the way and I live our lives. And they will decide to trust in Jesus or not trust in Jesus based on what they see in you and they see in me. It's not about my own glory. That's what Paul says, it's not about my own glory. I don't live for my glory anymore. I live for the glory of Jesus. The author and perfecter of our faith that Hebrew says. Because Jesus is the only one who can save the sinner. I think some of us in this room, we've forgotten what it was like to be the sinner. We've forgotten what it was like to be in desperate need of a Savior. And we watched the people around us and we watched how they lived their lives and we saw something different. And they introduced us to Jesus. And we said, yes, I want this Jesus that you have because I see what he's done in your own life. The glory of Jesus. And then we go to verse 1 of chapter 11. It really culminates here for me. I love this verse. Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Now, I don't know about you, as I've read this passage or this little verse growing up and, and, and as I've walked with Christ, I thought, you know, that's really good. I need to follow Paul. Man, he's such a great example. Man, I need to imitate Paul. I read the stories about Paul and how great, man, the missionary journeys, the people he shared Christ with, getting bit by a snake, you know, and ripping it off. I'm like, yeah, I want that for me. I don't go doing that. I'm just saying, figuratively speaking. 
And then I began, as I began to think about this, I'm like, you know, the reality is, the truth is, we ought to be saying to those around us, you follow me. You imitate me as I am the example. You imitate me as I walk with Christ. Not for my own glory, don't get confused. Not so that you'll say, oh, because Tim, he's so great. No, I want people to look at me and see the glory of Jesus Christ. For the youth, we gave five things, and I, this is where we're all going to tie this into together. This is what they studied all weekend, five things. And we see these in the glory and the majesty and the power and the person of Jesus Christ. The first thing, how did Jesus live? If we're going to say imitate me, then we ought to be thinking about I'm going to imitate Christ. Well, how did Christ live? Five things that they looked at in First Timothy. The first one is speech. Everything Jesus said, everything that came out of his mouth was so that people would see and understand and know that he was the Messiah. That salvation was in Jesus Christ. Sometimes it was difficult and sometimes it may have been mean or whatever, but it was always true and it was always for their good. And it was always pointing that Jesus Christ could bring them salvation. The second area they looked at was conduct. Yes, Jesus lived among the sinners, but he didn't live like the sinners. In all of Jesus' conduct... When people looked at the way he lived his life, they could see something different about him that pointed to salvation. The third one is love. I mean, we we know the stories of how Jesus loved people. People that nobody else wanted to love. And he loved them for the sake that they would see that Jesus Christ is the way to salvation. The next thing they looked at, faith. Jesus trusted the Father even as he faced death on the cross. We sang songs. We came last week and we, man, we praised the resurrection and the cross. The fact is, Jesus was faithful to the end. Jesus was faithful, faithfully following, faithfully following God so that people would see he was the way to salvation. And then the last thing they looked at was purity. Obviously, Jesus lived a sinless life. We talked about this in 1 Timothy where he says that we ought to see progress. No one's saying we're going to be perfect like Jesus. But we ought to be living a lives of purity that when people look at us more and more and more, they're seeing less and less sin. So that they might see the glory of Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus is our hero. Jesus is our example. Yeah, we put it on the back of the shirt, I'm the example, but I'm only the example because Jesus is the ultimate example. Jesus is the one that we look to. Some of you in this room, you you don't know the glory and the beauty of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ was God and he came down from heaven and gave up his rights. It wasn't about his deity. It was about him becoming flesh and becoming man. Yes, he was fully God and fully man, but that deity was veiled by his humanity and he lived on this earth in a culture that was pagan, that was against him. And he gave himself for you and for me, for the sinners, that we might receive salvation. And some of you, you can't even say, I want to be the example because you haven't even tapped into who Jesus is. For some of you, that's what you need to do today. You need to say, I want to be like this Jesus guy. 
I want to give my life to following this Jesus. He's the only way for salvation this morning. We've told these students all weekend they need to be the examples. But here's the truth this morning. What they need from us is they need people in this church. They need their parents and the rest of us to say, you, students, you follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. You know the problem in 1 Timothy? The church, the people in the church weren't living the way they were supposed to, so Paul had to send this young Timothy there to set things straight. And I'm not saying that's necessarily the situation that we're in, but I'm saying you ought to check yourself. Are you saying to these students, to these high school students and to the even younger and to the college students, are you saying to them, follow me because I'm following Jesus Christ? These students need your example. They need people who are going to say, I love Christ And I want to be an example to you. You follow me. And I'm going to run hard after Jesus Christ. I'm not going to be perfect, but I'm going to give it everything I got. I have four children. I want to say to them, kids, follow me so that you can know and you can follow yourself, Jesus Christ. These students, these kids, they need you. Let's watch this video. No one else is pointing these students and these kids to Christ. That's your job. That's my job. That's the church's job. These students need you. They need you to quit being lazy. They need you to quit making excuses in your life about why you can't follow Christ. They need you to quit being lazy when you come home and flipping on the TV and spending hours and hours watching the TV. Your coworkers need you to quit making excuses why you can't love them. This world needs people who are saying, I am following Christ. Look at me and you can see the best I know how, the best way I can, Jesus Christ. And we've got to quit making excuses. Because the truth is, these students, it is hard to follow Christ today. Our world is becoming more and more pagan. You know this. And the only hope our students have is if people in this church are going to say, I'm going to follow Jesus. You want to do that? You follow me. And you're going to come alongside them, whatever that looks like. Maybe that means volunteering in, in the children's or the youth or the college. Maybe that just means pulling one of them aside and say, can we meet together? Parents, it's your ultimate job to say to your kids, I'm going to follow Christ, kids. We're going to do this. Watch me. This is serious. Their lives are at stake. You know what we're learning about youth more and more? You know who they really want to listen to? You know who they're really paying attention to to decide what they're going to do with their life? It's their parents. It's the adults that are around them. And the truth is you're imitating Christ to them, what they think about Christ, whether you like it or not. And some of you have been terrible examples of Jesus Christ. There are days in my life where I've been terrible examples to my children. It's my job to walk with Christ and to say to others, 
follow me. Follow me and I'm going to show you how to follow Christ. You want to know who my hero is? Jesus is my hero. My hero is my granddad. He's no longer alive, but man, I watched that guy give himself to people and live like Jesus, like no one I've ever seen. And I want to be like him. I want to be a hero to my kids. I want my great, great grandkids to be telling stories about their great, great granddad Richardson who loved Jesus and gave his life so that others may know Jesus. Not that they can say, oh, Tim was so great, but that they would say, God was glorified in the life of great-grandpa Richardson. I want to leave a legacy to these college students that come through here that when they look at my life, that they would say, man, he wasn't perfect, but he was sure following hard after Christ. And so that when they leave, they can say, I know how to better follow Christ because I saw him. What are people saying about you? What example are you leaving them? What legacy are you leaving? Someday this life will be over. And they're going to tell stories about you. Are those stories going to be about the glory and the majesty of Jesus Christ? Or are they going to be about all the things that you had fun with and you did? Be a hero. Be a hero to your kids. Be a hero to these students. Be a hero to the people who are wondering what does it mean to follow Jesus Christ.